Okay, we've been in the book of Luke, and uh, we're going to return to that this morning. Uh, A journey through the book of Luke is such a joy as a church to go through a book together. Luke is such a rich uh, journey filled with amazing uh, principles and opportunities for us to learn so many different things. So we're on that journey. We're back at the end of Luke 2 this morning, and uh, let's just pray. So, Father, we pray now as we open your word. We pray that you would guide us, that you would quicken us, each dear brother, sister here gathered, that you would have a word in season for us, that you would speak to us on our journey of faith in our, for our current challenges and situations, that you would speak to our hearts. We pray you would quicken us, fill us, open our ears and our hearts to hear, to concentrate, to receive what you might have for us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of Luke, particularly those first couple of chapters, focus in on these particular characters surrounding the birth of Christ. These characters, these people are believers. We could use the term remnant believer. For of course, many in Israel were not in faith. Uh, They were not waiting. They were not looking. They were not believing. And it's the same in Christendom today. Uh, many, Many churches may be filled, but there are a remnant. And there has always been a remnant through through church history, through history of those who are believing, those who don't only have the confession of faith or a particular lifestyle, but in their hearts they are believing, they have a living faith in the living God, that there is a hope and a desire uh, in their hearts. And these were such people. Of course, Joseph and Mary and Zacharias and Elizabeth. And at the end of chapter 2, particularly, there are two characters that are uh, often overlooked. And that is Simeon and Anna. And particularly in this passage that we're going to look at, we'll see that there is a focus on the Holy Spirit. The relationship between the Holy Spirit and the remnant believer. And we know as New Testament believers that we have the Holy Spirit if we are truly born again, that God's Spirit is in us. Galatians 5.25 says, if or since you live in the Spirit, also walk in the Spirit. What does that mean to walk in the Spirit? What does it mean to be led by the Spirit or be filled with the Spirit? How important that is for us to consider and know in our Christian life. So let's go to the text, Luke 2, 21. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus. Oh, what a beautiful name, Jesus. The name that was given by the angel before he was conceived. On the eighth day, under the Jewish law, Uh, a baby boy would be circumcised and and typically that would be the day also the baby would be named. And his name was Jesus. This is the Hebrew equivalent, uh, uh, um, the Hebrew equivalent rather is Joshua. You may remember 
Oshua was renamed Joshua by Moses. Oshua means salvation, and Joshua means the Lord is salvation. And the point there being that salvation only comes by the hand of the Lord, not by our hands, not by what we do, but salvation is something that is given and received. That we are desperate, bankrupt, lost sinners, but the Lord saved. And of course, there could be other, no other name really that would be given to the incarnate Son than Jesus, that which means the Lord saves. Verse 22, and when the days of purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And there are several things that are happening, ceremonies, if you will, presentations here listed that are according to the law. In fact, five or six times it says that they did this in accordance to the law, for they were believers uh, and honoring what God had revealed, doing this by faith, wanting to honor these uh, principles. The day of purification was after the circumcision, another 33 days, it was considered that the mother was ceremonially unclean. So 40 days after the birth, there would be this purification ceremony. And they would come to the temple and they would offer a sacrifice. This is in verse 24. They came to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So again, according to the law, they were righteous people. And when the Bible speaks about righteousness in that sense, it's righteousness not by works, but by faith. Romans 3.20, by the deeds of the law, none are made righteous, none are justified. But when someone in the Bible is referred to as righteous, we can take that to mean that they had faith. We'll see a little bit later in this same passage in verse 27, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law. And at the end, verse 39, when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee. So they wanted to be uh, honorable in the details and the faith obedience in their life. And they offered, uh, it speaks here about doves or pigeons that could be offered. In Leviticus 12, if they couldn't afford a lamb, it says that they could offer pigeons or doves. That gives us some insight to the fact that they were not wealthy. This was certainly before the wise men had come and presented the gifts to them. And at this point, they could only afford uh, this offering. And now we introduce the first of our two characters in verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. This man, appointed for this moment, was to be one called forth, so to speak, to testify, to bear witness of the identity of this child being the Messiah born. And it says his name was Simeon. Simeon means he has heard. 
And that's a providential name because Simeon had certainly heard something from the Lord, as we will see. And there are three things that are said about him in this verse. Let's look at them. First, it says he was righteous and he was devout. He was righteous. He, was, he had faith and that righteousness was accounted accordingly. And he was devoted or he was devout. In other words, he was not only saved by faith, but he had a living faith in the living God. And notice this, he was one of the believing remnant, for it says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. What does that mean? Well, the prophet spoke about the Isaiah spoke about the comfort, the consolation that will come to Israel through the Messiah. That all through the Old Testament, this one who was promised who would come and bring consolation to Israel. It's a title for the Messiah. That Simeon was waiting, longing, looking for the coming of the Messiah, or as it's termed here, the consolation of Israel. And this is definitely indicative or an indication of one who is a remnant believer, one who is looking and waiting for the coming of the Lord. And that applies to those in the Old Testament and also New Testament believers. I remember once in Israel, we were in the square before the uh, Western Wall, and we turned around and up on one of the balconies, in, in, it said, um, the Messiah is coming. And I said, amen. I mean, he's already been, but he's coming again, right? We understand that. And lastly, it says, the Holy Spirit was upon him. And that's a beautiful phrase. It tells us in the next verse that it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. And in the verse following that, he came into the temple by the Holy Spirit three times. The Holy Spirit was upon him. It was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit and he came into the temple by the Holy Spirit. I think a point is looking to be made here in the text. This man was anointed by God, guided by the Spirit of God. There was nothing really special about him. He wasn't a priest or a Pharisee or a leader. There's no other details given about this man. He's really nondescript in that sense. But he was believing. He was a believer. And you could look across that temple courtyard and see people and not see much difference. Oh, but in heaven's eyes, it's so different when someone is walking by faith and the Holy Spirit is in their life. And there is another point given to describe this man in verse 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Christ, Christos, anointed one, or Messiah. The Holy Spirit had told him that he would not die before his eyes had seen the Messiah. What a, what a promise that was that he carried in his heart we don't know for how many years, but all the way up to this point, we assume that he would have been in the temple every day, looking, waiting, praying, carrying that in his heart, having that living expectation, oh, that the Messiah is coming. 
people perhaps would ask the question, who is that? We don't know how old he was, but you can gather that he was older, old. Who is that old man over there? And I see him every day. Oh, that's Simeon. <coughs> really? What's, what's his story? Oh, he, he believes he has a promise that he will see the Messiah and he comes every day. And when you talk to him, that's what he talks about. Oh, he's a little cuckoo, maybe. A little crazy. Yeah, maybe. Oh, no. The Messiah was coming. The Holy Spirit had spoken to him. His eyes would see the salvation of the Lord. Amazing. Verse 27. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. He came by the Spirit. I'd like to pause there for a moment and think about what that means. He came by the Spirit into the temple. How did he do that? How is someone led by the Spirit? Sensitively. Being available in the heart. Being aware that the Holy Spirit is looking to guide us, looking to lead us. As I thought about this, I thought about a breeze. A breeze having a certain direction. I can walk this way. Or I could stop and consider the breeze and the direction it's going, and I could yield myself to it, right? We, could, we know what it means to live naturally minded, and we're not thoughtful, and we're in the energy of the flesh, and we just go out the door, and we live our life. But the scriptures would plead with us as believers, listen, you, you have the Holy Spirit in your life. You have an anointing. You are the temple of the Spirit. You are a vessel of the Spirit of God, and He is in you. And you must learn to yield yourself to Him moment by moment in your daily walk. And just take the time. It says in John chapter 3 that the wind blows where it wills, and you hear the sound, and you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. And it says, so it is with Him who is born of the Spirit. And that's you and I. So it is of the one who is born again, who is regenerated by the Spirit, has the Spirit of God in their life. Not a nominal believer, but a regenerated believer and a remnant believer who takes the time to say, okay, what does the Spirit of God have? Takes the moment to bow the head and say, oh Lord, would you guide me this morning? I know how quickly and swiftly I could go into my day and into the details. And I know I would so quickly speak to people before I speak to you. I know how quickly I would rush out the door into life rather than finding a quiet time with your Lord. But here I am in the moment. I want you to lead me. Because maybe you have a divine appointment for me today. Maybe you would bless me today in a certain way. Maybe you would use me a certain way. Maybe you would keep me, protect me, guide me. I want to be aware. I want to be awake. Isn't that what a remnant believer is? Someone who is awake to the spiritual reality of God in their life? And how easily a believer can become dull and become numb and become familiar. And we just live our life naturally and we know the songs and the creeds. But oh, moment by moment being yielded to the Spirit of God is what we are called upon to do. 
being yielded. I love that word. Um, here we say give way, right, when you come to the street. But in America it says yield. You yield. And we yield to the Spirit of God who is in us. That's a beautiful idea. It says in Psalm 143.10, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground or in the right way. Let your good spirit lead me, God. Oh, for I am so easily led this way and that way by other things, but I want to be led by you. Romans 8, 14. All who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. And sadly, in Christianity today, when Christians speak, think about the Holy Spirit, they think about it in certain ways, all oh, but they miss this simple beautiful, daily, practical privilege that we have in our life to be quickened, to be enabled, to be guided by the Spirit of God. So, he came by the Spirit, where are we? Into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the Lord, of the law. And here is a divine appointment that day when Simeon was being led by the Spirit, at that particular time, at that particular moment, he came into the temple and he met that couple and he saw that baby and it was all beautifully guided and orchestrated by God. And he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, it doesn't say he said to Mary, do you mind if I hold your baby? I would suggest that, by the way, if a, baby, if a mother's holding a baby, that you don't just go and grab it. But you say, <laughs> you might get wrestled to the ground. But he took, the, took him in his arms and blessed God and said. And in that moment, as he is beginning to realize what that moment means after all the years of waiting, we can imagine the joy that would flood his heart, the wonder and almost disbelief that the moment was here as he held this child, that the personal promise that he had heard was going to be fulfilled to him. But more than that, the consolation of Israel that he also was waiting for, that this was the answer for Israel. And more than that, through the Abrahamic covenant, to all of the world. The Savior was here and he held him in his arms. He had lived with a sense of expectation, longing, looking. It's evident as you read the passage. And I believe that that waiting and longing and looking and living faith is what sets believers apart. For it tells us, I read some verses in Philippians 3.20, for our citizenship is in heaven. Hello? Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you love that phrase, we eagerly wait? But I don't know if every person sitting in a pew in our country today is eagerly waiting like that. 
I don't think so. 1 Corinthians 1.7 Eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Eagerly waiting, it means to be fully expecting something with a strong desire. Titus 2.12, living soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jude 1.21, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking, or this um, expectant waiting, for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And Galatians 5.5, 5, for we through the Spirit, notice that phrase, we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. And this is what the church today is called upon to do that through the Spirit we would be eagerly waiting and looking and longing. And it may not happen in our lifetime, but we should live with the hope and expectancy that it could and it may. Certainly, this is a mark of someone living in faith. And what does Simeon say? Let's go back to the text in verse 29. Lord, now you are letting, or now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. According to your word. What word? The promise that God had given him. That word. Now, in this moment, from now I am ready. Now I can go, whether it's today or in a year's time. Now I am ready, for my eyes have seen your salvation. I have this moment, sometimes as preachers and as Christians, you remember where you were when you heard a certain verse. Or, and I remember preaching on this. I was a young preacher, and I, I, we went to this prison in the countryside in Hungary. And we went, and there were all these prisoners gathered, and the pastor said to me, why don't you preach something first? <gasps> okay. And this was the text. And this was the principle. Oh, listen. You are not ready to depart until your eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. I think of our dear sister Debbie, who was ready, and she had peace. Oh, she could depart in peace, for her eyes had seen the salvation of the Lord. I think of our dear sister Dawn Smedley. I remember her saying in our little home group, she said, when she had cancer, she said to us, I am ready. I am ready to be with my Lord. Oh, I can't wait, she said. This is what Simeon said. My eyes have seen your salvation, or the one who brings salvation. Who is that? It's the Savior who brings salvation. You can't depart in peace until you have seen him. Simeon saw that, he believed, he had that blessed assurance. He didn't need to see this baby grow and the public ministry and the miracles and the, the cross and the resurrection. All he knew and he believed. <clears throat> Verse 31 <clears throat> in that same passage. 
he says, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. Now notice that. These are amazing words. They weren't fully understood by all in in the Old Testament believers. That Christ was a savior for all people, for Jews and Gentiles alike. Remember the angel said to the shepherds, I bring you good news of a child who is born who will be to all people. Great joy, good news of great joy to all people. And in the Abrahamic covenant, that seventh part of the covenant says, it'll be a blessing to all nations. And that's what is being said here. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Verse 33, understandably, we read that Joseph and his mother marveled at those things that were spoken of him. But those few verses we just read are loaded. They are pregnant with incredible truths and fulfillments of all that was predicted in the Old Testament. The one who would come, a light to the Gentiles, the glory of Israel, the Savior, the Messiah. And of course, Joseph and Mary, they were believers. They knew, they'd heard, they believed. And yet with every confirmation, how astounding that was in their hearts. May our hearts marvel also. Verse 34, and then Simeon blessed them. With the child, he then turns to the parents and he speaks to them. And he said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. This child is destined from eternity past. Uh, Where is that? I think Revelation 13, 8. He was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. It was in the heart and mind and plan of God that the second person in the Trinity would become incarnate and become a man and become flesh, that he might die in our place and provide a way for salvation. This child is destined for the fall and the rising of many. In other words, Jesus, who he is, his name, what he stands for, is an ultimatum that is put before men that he is destined to reveal hearts. And some will either love him and find him, and others will resist him and reject him. Isn't that true? A savor of death to some and a savor of life to others. That he is destined for the fall and rise of many. And look at the end of verse 35, that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Have you experienced that in your life? Perhaps in conversation when the name Jesus is mentioned? You could talk to them about New Age or whatever, general, but there's something about that name, something about how that confronts the human heart. The thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. For Jesus was the predicted stone of offense in Isaiah 18, 14. A stone which some will be broken upon and others will be broken by. He would pay the price, he would be rejected, and he would be condemned. But notice the phrase in brackets there. 
he says specifically to Mary, yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Here he takes note to say this to the mother of the child, to Mary, that this, the trouble and suffering and conflict that you will endure in your heart in, in this time as your, as your child grows in the public ministry and the cross, oh, there will be a moment, perhaps many, where there will be a piercing through your soul as his will be pierced on the cross, his side, as his hands and his feet will be pierced, or will be piercing for your own soul also. Now, lastly this morning, there is one character who comes in at this point, verse 36. There was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years. The text is a little bit ambiguous there, whether she was actually a widow for 84 years or whether she was 84 years. It's not the point. She was of great age. And she, it says in verse 37 there, she did not depart from the temple but serve God with fastings and prayers night and day. Also another devoted remnant believer, night and day. She did not leave the temple. She was there every day with prayers and fasting and hope and living faith. And notice this, verse 38. And coming in that instant, don't you love that phrase? You also see the Spirit of God, the divine appointment that God orchestrating this moment as Simeon had the child and perhaps she catches the end of what he is saying and at that moment she comes in and she hears it and she discerns it. She realizes also what Simeon has realized. In that instant she gave thanks to the Lord. Look at that an offering of thanksgiving and praise filled her heart. And look at the end of the verse. And she spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Wow. She had seen, she understood, and she went and she spoke to people. All those who had hope, all those who were open, all those who would listen. She would speak to them about the Messiah who would come, or in fact, who has come. We are in that era, she would say. It's happening. All those who look for redemption in Jerusalem, again, also those other appointed remnant believers, or as Simeon said, the consolation of Israel, same idea. She spoke of him. And you think about this old lady in the temple and how easily someone like that could be written off or who is she, what is she doing? Oh, does she have purpose or significance? Oh, but she had a great mission and purpose that filled her heart every day, that she would pray, she would have thanksgiving and she would speak to people, all those who looked. What a beautiful thing. What a privilege to speak of him to people. Our last verse this morning. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, there it is again, they returned to Galilee to their own city of Nazareth. 
And of course, Matthew interjects between that the story of the wise men and the flight to Egypt, etc. But this is of amazing encouragement to us this morning as we think about what it means to be people who allow God again and again to quicken us, to be available for his guidance and his leading in our life. We don't want to settle for less than what God has for us. We don't want to live just a natural, physical, material, religious life. But oh, may the Holy Spirit lead us, reveal unto us, and be upon our lives and quickening us, quickening us day to day. Amen. So, Father, we pray together this morning. And we very simply just thank you that your spirit is in us if we are truly born-again believers. We are so thankful for the, for the witness of the spirit. Your spirit cries out, Abba, Father. We have that sense of being your children, your people, your family. And that we are all, in one sense, we are, we are just ordinary people. We are common people. But in another sense, we are extraordinary people. But we are your people. We are saints. We are in your family. We are your anointed. And we pray you'd help us have that sense of, of the sacredness of that uh, truth and calling pray today that you would help each one of us grow in our faith, in our understanding, in our experience of the spiritual life. Thank you for those in this, in this family who encourage us, who pray for us, uh, who come alongside and always have words to help us go forwards. We thank you for that. Perhaps there are some listening online this morning or even gathered here, you are not sure of your salvation Oh, Jesus is the Savior, and he came to save. Put your faith in him this morning. Not what you do for him, but what he has done for you. Just say, Jesus, come into my life and save me today. Quicken me and fill me with your spirit. Guide me, lead me in the way I pray. Bless each one now as we close this time in Jesus' name.